The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. It's got to the short side. Oh, it's Before, but I'm the referee on this team, not you. Hi, Rob. Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ring Rose comes through. Oh, that is brilliant from Ring Rose. Ring Rose is going here. What a score! Welcome to the Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. I'm very happy to be joined in studio by the ever-present Pat McCarry. Ever-present. Hey, how are you? And we're delighted to be joined in studio by former Irish internationals Mike McCarthy. Oh, thanks, thanks. It's nice to be back, lads. Yeah, it's it's good, been a while. It's and, good to um, have you, Mike. Uh, again, I'm very sorry I was late this morning. Okay, Mike was a little late. Yeah, a little conscious of this. It's okay though. Yeah. So we're, we're we're an understanding parish here. And uh, Tomas O'Leary, how are you? Yeah, I'm fantastic. It's a pleasure to be here. Early, yeah. he was here early. He was. I was here on yeah. time, but Mike was late. So yeah. Pat's Pat's not letting this go. Um, it's a bit quiet in the rugby front. Uh, nothing doing, no. Nothing really going on this weekend, but um, if there's Ulsterbank League games going on, so in 1A, there's four games in Dublin, one in Doherty Isle, get yourself down to your local side. Um, but the Six Nations are just around the corner, so we've plenty to keep us going as we look <coughs> to Ireland's chances. Mike is enthusiastic about Ireland's chances. Very excited. Very excited. <laughs> first things first, though, I'm excited about uh, what Tomas is getting up to. Yeah, how's, how's things? You're looking trim. Um, yeah, like um, I put on a lot of weight once I retired from rugby. Um, <laughs> four or five months in the south of France with no rugby, no training, just eating and drinking. Um, I put on about twelve kgs and nearly hit the hundred kg mark. A lot of uh, cheese and rosé. Yeah, had a serious uh, word at myself, and uh, <laughs> once I came home to Ireland, started uh, training again. But yeah, obviously I'm doing a bit of dancing at the moment, so it's a good crack. Hmm. Yeah, I'm starting to learn about foxtrots and yeah. We're not Paso leaving that sit there now. Come on, give us the full uh, the full spiel. How many hours a day is this? I'm doing about probably about four hours uh, actual training, dance technique, um, all that crack during the day, and yeah. I'm learning about the characteristics and requirements of each dance. So um, I'm an expert on the foxtrot and the jive already, and I'm doing a Paso doble this weekend. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's good crack. Is that four hours a day? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's well. It's not yeah. the slow dances are okay, but the the joy was tough. Now physically, I was I was seriously struggling. Like my, it was like after I danced on Sunday and on Monday, it was like I have to play. I played a rugby game. Serious? Yeah. So yeah. I'm just about recovered from that now. But thankfully, the the paso is a bit slower and a bit more about character. Like so, yeah. I have, so to, I have to act a little <laughs> bit too, which is difficult. So and you, were, you were saying that uh, some of them are leaving it like some of them are doing nine and ten hour days aren't they yeah, as well? the, yeah like the Rob Heffernan I suppose that's his obviously his characteristics are coming out um, I guess he was part of you know he was a walker so you can imagine the hours he put down on the road like pretty pretty boring pretty monotonous so are you saying he um, practices really slowly so it just takes him <laughs> <nine> <laughs> no he's uh, he's uh, trying to bring out all the fast twitch uh, fibres in his body now after after years of suppressing them but um, yeah like he's just determined to I suppose get the best out of out of the I suppose each dance or whatever whereas I'm probably a bit more relaxed and can see the wood from the trees a bit more you know what I mean I'm uh, I'm just going to enjoy the process and uh, not take it seriously I had enough of taking sport it seriously for 12-14 years yeah, <laughs> you're going back playing um, local uh, local guy club bit of football yeah like I said I got back uh, end of August from France and um, 
I was like obviously in terrible nick and uh, the, my local it's it's mainly a hurling team their senior hurling team got beaten in the quarter final and they were literally playing the quarter final of the hurling on a Saturday and they were out playing junior football county championship on the Monday night after that so um, I'd been having a few pints for a few days down in West Cork and uh, Sunday <coughs> night and, and probably Saturday and Friday night as well and um got a text off one of the lads when I was on the way back up to Cork on the Monday saying they were short a few numbers would I fall in so they said they wouldn't bring me on unless they were really stuck and so I, I, I went went on the bench got on for the last five minutes and then we got to the quarter final came on last five minutes did alright and then ended up coming on the semi-final that went to replay started the replay and then started the final but we lost the county final unfortunately but great crack yeah, decent run yeah, yeah and it's good to get but like there was probably Two or three lads my age who were still playing, who I would have played with since I was a kid. So it was good to get back and play with them again. And hopefully now it's my intention to go back hurling this year. But obviously, last time I played hurling was I was nineteen. So I have a lot of work to do to to get the skill set back. So it's from nineteen to what thirty four years young, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, still in there. I'd like to think so, but um, like unfortunately, rugby's taking its toll on my body, and I'm not the. Uh, well, and, Quick, the, da- and yeah. the dancing by the sound of it. Well, yeah, well, exactly. So, well, that might help my, uh, my, um, I suppose, my feet to be able to move a bit quicker. But, um, like when I played hurling, obviously I was a young fella and I was I was really quick back then, and obviously I was a very good hurler because I played hurling every day since I was two years of age. Mm. Um, whereas now I haven't. I suppose I haven't booked a hurley only five or six times in the last 14, 15 years. But so. you were coming from a decent base. What were you? Uh, captain of the Cork Miners? Yeah, yeah, that was 2001. Yeah. So that was the last time Cork won uh, a minor title, which is uh, an indictment of Cork underage hurling anyway. But, <laughs> um, so yeah, like obviously, it was my kind of passion growing up. It was my, it was, it was a sport I was best at growing up. Yeah. And um, it's something I'd like, like to do is like kind of a passion of mine so I'd love to get back and see how it goes you know so excellent yeah. so do you have any other sports growing up rugby all the way so I was a good swimmer good yeah. at athletics um, I wouldn't mind giving the dancing a chance but uh, I thought it was I heard Mike Ross was in with a shout for the dancing <laughs> probably not I don't know well maybe I think yeah. he'd be good at the at the slow dances all right, to yeah. be fair to him yeah, but uh, no, no. I tried lots of different sports when I was when I was growing up. So, mm. but I was a pretty good swimmer. So, but uh, rugby actually came quite late to me. Yeah. So yeah. How late? Um, well, actually, I wasn't I wasn't particularly good at school. Um, I was I was pretty pretty uh, overweight and uh, was a bit of a ruck inspector. So I'd have a maybe one good carry at the start of the game, and then I'd just start turning up to the rucks as the nine was passing the ball. So yeah, it didn't have much too much of an effect. So. Who was the best rook inspector you played with now when you were a nine? Uh, mm, you're retired I, now, you can uh, name names. I don't know, I suppose you're not really, uh, you're just focused on trying to get to each rook. Um, like what I found is there was actually the opposite way. Sometimes once stats came in, there was lads trying to hit rocks needlessly just to get their number of uh, impacts up and lads started playing by stats almost. Um, so that, that's what pissed me off more than a rook inspector if a fella went to a rock needlessly just to get his stat that he hit 15 rocks so, so you're there arriving to the base the ball is it's, it's clean it's and grand and another fella, body like, comes in yeah yeah um, so that's what I, I hated stats and I hated people playing by stats and even after games now you see you know um, the number 8 had 15 carries yeah. and then you look at it and they're like oh he had an amazing game or he made 17 tackles 
and he might have carried for maybe an average of a metre and a half per carry like that that's not exactly too effective like mm. yet the fellow who might have had seven carries might have made four or five metres per, per carry and that's a lot more effective but he won't get the, the platitudes or whatever because he hadn't a massive number of carries so I think stats can be misleading and I think it's dangerous for coaches to, to especially review and preview games like coaches some of them got a bit over obsessed with stats and stuff and I think if you play by stats you, you take away from your natural game or you take away from um, <coughs> I suppose what do, making a correct decision like the fell out in the touchline might be spreading the defence yet he might not touch the ball for five minutes mm. but it might create space for some fellow to make an inside break and he'll obviously get no credit like whereas if he was in trying to get a carry or trying to get a hit a rock then the space isn't going to be there for, for a line break so I've no problem with rook inspectors I've a problem with fellas who are chasing stats <laughs> it's, 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 that, it's that fear of the sheet going up in yeah. camp and everyone running yeah. over to have a look at the sheet and you know as as you're saying there it's uh, you know you might you might you might carry instead of give a pass just to get an yeah. extra start of a, of a carry so yeah I totally agree with what you're saying there well there was a, there was a story for a couple of years back about um, a senior Scottish international who was dropped for that reason he was he was building up t- numbers, yeah. and that wasn't supposed to be his job. Um, but that's one for another day. Well, it's yeah, like exactly. you, you've got three on two, and you don't you don't give the pass, so you can carry, and you bomb the try, but you get an extra carry. Yeah, and you're like, oh, great, and you're up on the sheet. I've had a load of carries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, let's hope that the test level coaches can see through that. Oh, I, I think they do. They probably yeah. know a bit more about it than me anyway. But that's just a bugbear on me. <laughs> right, Champions Cup, lads. Um, that wasn't a bad old weekend. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah. As long as you're not from Ulster. Yeah, well, that was a shame for them, wasn't it? Well, they, they didn't, never even looked in the mix that day. It was unfortunate for them, but um, brilliant to see the other sides go through. And then Connacht as well, getting getting through as well um, and getting the home quarterfinals. So, yeah, three home quarterfinals and um, Lens are very impressive again and, and Munster. They're, they're looking good now. It's, it's, it's funny when you go into the Six Nations off the top, top of good form, how... You kind of get excited for it then, like, and well, we'll see where we are in a few weeks. But excited, excited right now. Looks good, and looking forward to those. All four of those quarterfinals are brilliant. It is going to be good, um, and as you say, you get very excited now. But we've got a whole Six Nations to get through, so it's Easter <coughs> weekend, which is months away, mm. literally, uh, until these quarterfinals can take place. But yeah, we're looking at Leinster Saracens, uh, Scarlets, La Rochelle, Claremont Racing, and Munster against Toulon. Um, that's that's not a bad slate, Tomas. No, it looks pr- pretty exciting and obviously from the Irish point of view Leinster are obviously playing some unbelievable rugby and Munster look very, I think, very um, astute and they know what they're doing. Um, from a Leinster point of view, like you said, it's the worrying thing is that they're playing such good rugby now that, and there's such a long break between now and the quarterfinals and I think, obviously, while it's a massive strength, they've got an unbelievable squad like picking your best team has gone very very hard for them whereas Munster are a lot more settled in terms of their starting 15 and their 23 so um, like I'd hate to be Leo Cullen trying to trying to pick a back three or you know picking your centres or whatever like um, I'd, I'd love to be Leo Cullen uh, picking it from those, from those players and see, yeah. see they've just signed up Jordan Lamo on a pro contract yeah he's up <laughs> he's, he's, has he earned that he's, he's got a big boy contract yeah <laughs> But like, um, obviously Leinster are flying it out. But you know, come quarterfinals, um, you know you're going to be leaving out the, you know f- three or four unbelievable international wings out of a, even a match day squad. So it's trying to keep that squad happy. Whereas I think Munster will be a lot more settled. And well, I know they're not playing as exciting a brand of rugby, but I think they'll be happy where they are too. Mm. It's so a strange challenge to have, isn't it? Like just to 
you see that often you see in the stands the kind of players that Leinster have but like like when you were there Mike even as well like just t- top quality internationals that know they have to sit out is it a tough one, tough problem to have Like, but it is one yeah. well, it's a great problem for a coach but mm. I, I, I was watching that Glasgow game a couple of weeks ago and it's, so it's Jack McGrath starting and then on 50 minutes you bring on uh, Kean Healy yeah. so I mean it's pretty pretty frightening and then you've got the likes it's just a strength and depth all over I mean and then you've got Porter Tyke Furlong mm. and it, it's it's the same case in, in every position Um the last few years when I was there, the, the strongest position was the back row. But then you look now, everywhere, second row, front row, the back line, there's yeah. just so much competition. It's it's, it's crazy. Um, and uh, you, you touched an Ulster there. So, you know, I just felt that was really disappointing for them because they put in such a good performance against La Rochelle at home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they're in, in with a shout for the um, for the quarterfinal. So I suppose what it gives them now is the opportunity to concentrate on the league, which which yeah. can't, be a, can't be a bad thing. But... Um, then losing, you know, the signing of, of Steve, Stephen Donald. So um, that's that's a bit of a loss for them. With um, not a good few days if you're an Ulster fan. <coughs> um, short, short and medium term, you're you're, you're a bit down. Yeah, uh, bit down. it's been it's been up and down for every week. It's like yeah. they're either getting slammed or else it's like this could be it. This could mm-hmm. be the start of something. But they struggling to put perform or results together, I suppose, as well. And um, and then they can't. Like you'd like to see someone like Johnny McPhillips get a game now, or, or some of the other younger lads like Rob Little as well. But um, they still need to kind of qualify for Europe next season as well. They just do. just, just, just on that fly half thing because I think it was being talked about in the in the media about uh, Cahill Marsh at Leinster, mm. fourth choice. But he's he's a phenomenal player, and you know it'd be great great for him to get some get some rugby at that level. And yeah. he's not getting any rugby at the, at the moment. This this guy right here. And for those who can't see, I'm pointing at myself. Uh, yeah, Marsh is Marsh is an ideal candidate to go up there. He's, yeah. He needs game time, and yeah. everyone else is fit. He's yeah. he's not going to be in the mix right now. With the greatest of respect to him, he's an ideal candidate to mm. go north. But we will see. Yeah. We see Jordy Murphy's see obviously going up there as well. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, he can share the car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, but it's stepping back a little bit. You see, you've got two uh, Irish. Teams in that in those quarterfinals, and everyone's quite happy. And okay, Ulster got to the last day; they should have done better, but they they were still in the mix. Connacht have done well and mm. getting up there in their home quarterfinal uh, in the Challenge Cup. Gloucester, isn't it? Uh, it is Gloucester, Gloucester isn't it? Yeah. I hope so. I hope For so. Mike's sake and everybody else's sake, <laughs> yeah. it's Gloucester lads. Yeah, <laughs> could be some homework not done here in the studio. Um, France, the French clubs have done fine. Um, English clubs not so good. Wales very happy with Scarlets and Ospreys were in on the final day. Uh, Scotland fairly happy in terms of Glasgow's performance, um, doing a real number on Exeter. Fair play to them. Mm. Um, but the English clubs have not done well in this round. Do we read into that as we go into the Six Nations, or are these two separate conversations? I think it's a separate conversation. Um, English rugby, like um, <coughs> I suppose, I, I played in the league for three years and. Um, it's it's a tough league, but I think the skill set and the analysis done in in the, by the Irish teams and the Welsh teams in in our in our native league here, I think it's far superior. And then even going to France for a year, you get an insight into the lack of preparation that teams um, have have over there for games. It's 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 mental really when you think of the budgets they have and the the investment in players. They don't mirror that with investment in medical staff. They don't mirror that in terms of preparation with it. Um, video analysts and all that kind of stuff um, so I think the Irish teams that's why I suppose the Irish international team has done so well why Munster and Leinster have done so well in Europe is because they actually prepare um, and they analyse teams in opposition and they, I suppose they exploit teams where they're weak and obviously then as well the 
I suppose the investment that players actually have in their province like people want to grow up wanting to play for Leinster, Munster, Ulster, Connacht mm. and there's an affinity with the with the, the fans and the, a, gen, a genuine investment in the area so I think you can't underestimate all that but yeah I think the English teams club teams are right there there's probably been a lot of average foreign signings by, by a lot of them and but I still think the English international team will be strong I know they're kind of riddled by injury at the moment but you still go through their team and they're going to be pretty strong if, if they can maintain I suppose fitness levels for the, the remainder of the squad but I think it's a very good opportunity for Ireland to win a Six Nations mm. um, So let, let's run through the Ireland's fixture list so just so people get this in their heads so we're starting uh, two weekends time France away then Italy at home then a week's break Wales at home then a week's break Scotland at home then we finish Paddy's Day away to England um, You both played in a Paddy's Day fixture in Twickenham I think yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know. I wasn't really too cognizant of the fact that it was Paddy's day if I was playing against England. Um, yeah, I've been over there and won, and been over there and lost. So um, yeah. I've been over there and lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd heard about that 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 game that um, that Stuart Lancaster. He was the England coach at the time, and he had ramped up the English players going out for that game. Got in like a a kind of Gulf War veteran the day before to give a big speech about what it was to be English and stuff like that and they're all hyped up beyond belief and then Declan Kidney's speech to the Irish team in the dressing room just was something along the lines of like we're, we're not losing on Paddy's Day lads and that was about it it, was, it wasn't the most rousing of speeches at all and, and maybe that then reflected on the pitch do you remember anything of that? I'm seeing blank faces I, lads. I, I, I don't know I wasn't probably there I don't know I, I certainly <laughs> don't remember it if I was Were you having a smoke at the back? No. <laughs> I don't know was I playing? I don't know I don't, I don't remember <laughs> Have you guys just blank, blanked the whole game out of your collective memory? To I don't think I've played at Twickenham, so it's a bad one. Oh, McGeady needs to check his records. <laughs> I probably have blanked it out of my memory, like it's, but it's certainly not at the forefront anyway. Well, it's, it's scary how quickly the wheels can fall off because if if this is the game you're referring to, I remember. I think Rossi went off mm-hmm. in the scrum pretty early. Yeah, we we got hammering, absolutely hammering. That wasn't one of my better days either. Uh, Tom Court, <laughs> Tom so Court came him. in and <laughs> life was not pleasant for yeah, Mr. But Court. To be fair to Tom, he was playing on the side that he doesn't normally play on, yeah. and um, you know, certainly wasn't just him. And it's just scary how quickly the wheels can fall off because I think we were in with a shout, and then the last 20 minutes, we just I think we conceded a good number of tries. So. It's a load of, load of penalties and. Um, Owen Farrell, who I think was about 12, yeah. <laughs> kicked, kicked a lot of penalties uh, and Ireland went home. But uh, going back to the injuries point, um, so there's been a lot of fuss being made, particularly from the England side, but they've got whatever, 18 mm. players injured. Um, Joe Schmidt, I think, has also said 13. something, Pat, 13. Yeah, he dropped, he dropped, he said uh, 13 yesterday as well, because Eddie Jones is already starting the Ireland, their favourite to mind game. So Schmidt said, uh, we have 13. So I was, I've scribbled them out here now in front of me. And um, so I've got Heaslip, Payne, Reese Ruddock, Niall Scannell, who Tomas said came back for Munster last weekend. Uh, James Tracy, Gary Ringrose, Sean O'Brien, Tommy O'Donnell, Dave <laughs> Kilcoyne, <laughs> Tommy Bowe, <laughs> Finley Bealham, Craig Gilroy, and then I'm thinking the 13th man might be Blayendall, even though he hasn't played for Ireland yet. So you're, you're stretching to get to a full 13 of... Yeah, like there might be guys who've got a cap for Ireland, maybe, but they're not. Fr- a lot of them aren't. You would, what you not call frontline guys. Like Craig Gilroy is probably delighted to hear himself mentioned as a, a guy who's 
still in Schmidt's considerations considering that whenever he's fit he doesn't seem to get a chance like so um, yeah 13 but 13 is a bit of a stretch compared to what England are doing I think Joe must be going a bit soft on them because I think that they're in Spain this week aren't they they're in mm. Spain keep seeing Instagram stories of them sunbathing <laughs> on the beach and it's a big secret club trip to Spain yeah yeah, yeah. It wasn't really on the schedule was it uh, no, it's, it's not when the media was concerned. No, no, and like, yeah, sure, let him go off and do whatever he wants. Like, let him just chill out for a bit. But uh, yeah, there's something that wasn't really flagged in advance, like that had happened. Like, and I would have happily went over there and covered a couple of days of, of the camp. And yeah, selfless Pat. Yeah, yeah. If, if if they want to give us a heads up next year, I'll go over and, and kind of cover that warm weather camp. Yeah, but Ireland, that. Ireland are lucky enough. So if you look at sort of England, have some frontline players. That yes, they have the greatest depth of any team. But and Conor O'Shea said he bled for the death. Province. Brilliant! That was a brilliant clip, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, very good, very well played, Conor. Um, but Wales have lost Dan Bigger. They've no Warburton. Liam um, Williams as well. Yeah, he he Reece could be the entire thing. Priestland. Priest, is Priestland gone as well? Falatal, Jonathan Davies. Yeah, Davies is definitely gone. Yeah. It's not. It's not like that. Is not good for Wales. So Wales are now fourth favourites for the championship, along with with France. Ireland are second favourites. England are favourites. Scotland are third favourites. Mm. They're also second favourites to get the wooden spoon. <laughs> so because that's Scotland. And um, but what do we want to see from Ireland from this championship? Is it do we need to win the Six Nations or is the Rugby World Cup next year the goal? Um, you chat to any of the players and they want to win a Six Nations and they probably want to win a Grand Slam Okay. Um, especially the guys there and I suppose the guys who are maybe with less caps are trying to establish themselves internationally just want to feature and just want to put their put their hand up for for I suppose down, down the road for a World Cup but I think there's a, such a good opportunity you know with the the litany of injuries that all the other squads have to get a good start away in France and then Target an actual Grand Slam because I know well, Joe Schmidt as well. He obviously would have that on his on his radar because he hasn't done that yet. Um, so I think it's a great opportunity for a Grand Slam, and I think that's the forefront of their their minds. Mm. I think he said that after the Autumn Internationals, you know, he 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 tested a few players out, and he's he's kind of said he's he's concentrating on the Six Nations and won't really be given that many opportunities to new to new guys. So he's earmarked it as you know concentrating on it. He, they want to win it clearly what do we think do we do we believe that Joe Schmidt can say a lot of things is that the message he really believes or what do you reckon Pat yeah well he is Like he clearly is building towards the World Cup by giving out so many caps and getting in young lads even Larmour like showing no fear or getting them in so he is building towards the World Cup but I think you can't go into the World Cup without not winning a Six Nations in four years as well like you want to build up a winning mentality in your team and this team like Schmidt would be delighted I think he's targeting one if you can get one out of the next two like you, you get these lads that you know you can get over the line when you need to so and the World Cup is such a you know anything can happen in a World Cup as well I know Schmidt he'd be demented to win that thing as well like he wants to go and, and get Ireland as far as he can but Six Nations is something that they can achieve so why not go out and do it as well hmm. So injuries injuries okay we are in a good chance here. Well, yeah, we're not too like. I, I actually think I did something boasting about how great we were for missing injuries in mid January, and then oh I, god, I, I jinxed around four or five you're, players. Yeah, you're jinxing the entire squad, aren't you? Yeah, Ring Rose, not answering my calls now after that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we're I think we're in good shape. If you, if you look at the team we have, there's only it's a pretty settled team. Again, you can p- pretty much pick who you want. The only ones would be O'Brien, Sean O'Brien. It definitely would have been open side and then the man who probably would have come in would have been Reese Ruddock who was having a great season until he got injured so my big question then is 
who starts open side I suppose that's one of the big ones <coughs> and and then maybe who else maybe Keith Earls is in good form wing wing and open side were my so, two big ones So who are your candidates for the open side position? Um, well the two main ones I think would be Josh van der Fleer or, or Dan Levy and then Jordy Murphy's come in and done a job for, for Joe in the past so I think he might come in but I'd go I'd go Josh and then he's been playing he's been getting starts for Leinster in the last few games so I think he's my, he's my man yeah, I think I think Jordy kind of went off the radar a bit after that injury he got against the All Blacks, but now he's come back and he, he's performing. And um, you know he'll certainly have some credits from Joe from that that performance in Chicago. So uh, I'd I'd expect to see Jordy there probably. But I mean <laughs> that's a strength and depth. They're they're three yeah. absolute quality guys that offer maybe slightly different things. So for a particular game, so mm. be interesting to see. And but I think I think the the uh, player welfare system is obviously clearly working well for international rugby when. You know, a long season. There's been a Lions tour. That's that's why so many of the English players are, um, you know, aren't available. So whereas our guys are getting rested, their 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 minutes are being looked at. They're not they're not playing overplaying. So I think that's definitely a massive plus for 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 us going forward, having having so many guys available. Mm, it does. The finger does get pointed at the uh, you know the lack of relegation and pressures like that in the Pro 14. Your old club was in the news there during the week. Tomas London Irish refusing to sell their Premiership share. Um, yeah, like um, it definitely <coughs> helps in ter- terms of player development that there's no relegation. Mm. Um, whereas in England, you know, the bottom three or four clubs are very cognizant of the fact that if they get relegated, obviously there's a uh, Massive strain on finance, massive strain on, I suppose, attracting fans to the ground, um, maintaining their playing playing base. Um, and London Irish have obviously struggled the last few years, going down and coming back up. Um, and it looks like they're going to be relegated again. So, um, yeah, um, it's it is a difficult one, and it's they're, they they had big intentions of moving to Brentford Football Club, building a new stadium with them. I think that's still going ahead, but if they're in a championship attracting the right players um, investing in that and investing in a new stadium is going to be very difficult for the club like um, I think it was uh, it was obviously weird going from Munster a club who had a massive identity and um, um, going to London Irish then who's an Irish club playing in Reading um, mm. no atmosphere at the games like the only time I was ever in Reading was driving out out the motorway into the ground straight off the motorway and then back home I was in I think Reading actual town once and in my three years there so it's a it's a strange strange place like um, and obviously the club has the last three four years have been very tough for the club but uh, I, don't, I don't know what the logistics and the the business um, <coughs> consequences are <coughs> excuse me for um, maintaining their premiership share if they're not in the premiership I don't know how that works I don't know what yeah I think they're generally only interested in, in the championship clubs when Bristol are down there because yeah, they exactly. want them back up yeah, and yeah. Yeah, that's probably one for another day um and one who won't, won't, we'll move on, right? There's one man who's just come into the news this week, who's been in the news for 17 years, um, but he won't be in the news for an 18th, John Muldoon. Mm. So John Muldoon is hanging up the boots at the end of the year. Uh, Mike, you know John pretty well, yeah? Yeah, to be honest, it, it was a bit of a surprise because I, I don't think his body's been struggling. As far as I was aware, I don't think his body had been struggling too badly, so uh, I know he's getting old now, so... Uh, but uh, you know, I thought he, he he's would even play. older than you, is he? I think he's thirty-seven now. So um, yeah, I thought he might play another year or two. But uh, yeah, he's he he is Connor Rugby, isn't he? He's uh, he's 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 a great guy. You know, both 
you know, off the pitch, and then what he delivers week in, week out on the pitch for for the last 17 years is phenomenal. He's a he's a great leader. Um, the lads really get behind him. He's the kind of guy you'd want in the trenches with you when the when the chips are down. And um, yeah, so surely a, a coaching role with with Connor Beckins uh, going forward. Yeah, I, th- I think he's only 35. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure he was on the. Uh, yeah, he's 34 actually. But yeah, well, I think he was on the Galway minor hurling squad. 2000 they beat us that year oh, well. <laughs> and um, obviously we beat him back in 2001 then but yeah he's he's only 35 max um, <laughs> but yeah like an unbelievable career for I guess you said he's Mr. Mr. Connacht like mm. he's a, an iconic figure for there like and I suppose obviously the last few years have been exciting for Connacht and you know culminating in winning the Pro 12 a couple of years ago um, but you know I suppose the tough years the barren years I suppose that he stuck around maybe when he had an opportunity to maybe to go to the UK or I don't know if he had a, have an opportunity to go to another Irish province I don't know whether that came up for him but to to stay in Connacht when things maybe weren't so exciting and um, was I suppose it's it speaks volumes of his passion and his love for, for Connacht like so and I guess he'll be missed there but um Certainly leaving the, the the jersey in a better place. Mm. Nice way for them to go out if they win, uh, you know, because they've got a chance of winning this Challenge Cup now with a home quarter against Gloucester. So, oh, a bit of a fairy tale ending for them. And you know, there's always you could always have you, have you seen the the West is Awake film? There's a uh, could always be a movie star after. So, three <laughs> um, stars in that. So, yeah. So happy trails, John Muldoon. Um, I might try and get him in before he retires for the end of the season. Well, can I come in on that one as well? Can Mike come in? <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, I think we'll let that happen right um, up next the lads will be back in to answer some of your fan questions The Hard Yards brought to you by Sports Joe Action you're listening to The Hard Yards with Mike McCarthy and Tomás O'Leary and Pat and me um, <laughs> someone told me a good joke the other day yeah what uh, knock knock who's there Devin Devin who Devin Tona! <laughs> this is Mike McCarthy time on your local <laughs> in your headphones. It's a great one. <laughs> as I usual. Just made, I just made it up on the drive in this morning. That's a good job. Yeah. There was a long drive as well. Yeah. See, we're not letting it go. Oh, Donnybrook, the traffic was. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I was late again. I'm apologies. I'm sorry I was late. This, this is a really highbrow podcast, isn't it? it? Yeah. Oh, very. Um, we put a call out this week again and these are some of the best questions we received make sure to use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to ask a question next week so first one in very topical from Thomas Moroni uh, what kind of role do you think Tyg Byrne will fill for Munster when he arrives so Tyg Byrne he's on the long list for European Player of the Year which is kind of weird because they only do it from six games really yeah strange but well deserved because this is something that's been building for a while Tyg Byrne what what do you see when you look at Ty Byrne, Mike? Uh, I'm just really pleased to see how well he's doing. He was he was at Leinster uh, when, when I was first there, and thankfully he he hadn't peaked by then. Otherwise, I might have not had as many games. But um, yeah, he's gone to um, he, you know he hasn't given up. He wasn't getting any game time at, at Leinster. He he went to Scarlets and he he's 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 done fantastic. He's he's bulked up a bit, which I think he needed to do. Um, and yeah, you saw that try he scored against Bath uh, recently when he he stepped inside Watson. Uh, he's got great feet. He's got an unbelievable engine on him. He got he just goes non-stop all day. Uh, you know he, he's pretty tough and um, he's played a hell of a lot of rugby this season with um, Jake Bull and Rawlinson being out. So he's 
He's um, he's getting loads of good experience. He's he performed really well. I think Joe actually said it the other day. He played really well against uh, Toulon in the two games. Played really well against Bath there. Um, so yeah, no, it's great to see him doing so well, and it's 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 a great signing for Munster. Mm. Looking forward to him arriving in. Ab- absolutely, um, you can see obviously the style of rugby that Scarlets obviously suits him. Um, so Munster obviously trying to expand their attacking game plan with Felix Jones and signing a player of his ilk is going to help with that. And I suppose Billy Holland and John Klein have had all the workload for Munster recently with Donegal Ryan and Dave Foley and the likes of that moving on. So it's just going to add strength and depth and. Obviously, a player of massive, massive ability and um, f- big physical presence. So, um, an exciting, exciting signing for Munster. Like mm. a ball playing second row as well. Like someone who's got good hands as well and joins into attacks and links up and almost like Muldowney did the year Connacht won the the Pro fourteen or Pro twelve as well. Like, yeah, exactly. So, Joe Schmidt was also talking about Burn um, this mm. week. Yeah. He was. He had his minutes counted. How many minutes he had played this season? Thirteen hundred and fifty minutes. Um, and then he was just kind of saying. He, I think he listed four or five reasons why he didn't have Burn in a squad, and it was all about that he'd have to bring, let him go back to Scarlets if he had brought him to Spain. That he can't have as much time with him as he'd like. He might he'll probably cap him during the, the the summer as well. But it was the game time was one of the big things that he he went out against. You know, like so. It's just one of the reasons they just don't. They're not saying that their rule is that if you're foreign based, you're not going to get a game. But it it is. You know, like it's and you have to be pretty spectacular to kind of break that rule. But like Sexton was, but nobody else seems to get a chance. So it's a shame. I would have loved to seen him there. Like I can see what they're doing with Zebo because Zebo's heading off. But Burn is is coming back and he's he. I actually think he'd be. You know, if we are going to win the Six Nations, he would definitely help us. So, um, I think it's a pain that he's not not there. But you know, there are you know four or five other lads there. That's what he, yeah, that's what he mentioned. Spain couldn't get him to Spain. Have to give him back to Scarlets. Scarlets are flogging him, <laughs> and a few other reasons as well why you can't pick him. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with it for the moment. If I've got the next year's World Cup in mind, he's got time. He'll have a full season at Munster. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll, there will be a couple of caps there. It's just that it's unfortunate he couldn't be in camp for longer just to get a bit more into the Schmidt systems. Yeah, he might. That's a, he might. T- they'll probably bring him into Carton House then for at least a week or so yeah. during during the Six Nations as well. Probably maybe even in that down week when it's a little bit off and they're doing maybe going off to Buccaneers or something like that. So he'll get in, get a taste of it, and um, yeah, and then it'd be great just to see him getting capped. I'd say if he stays fit, I said he could play t- three thousand minutes this year if Scarlets keep going well, but. Um, <laughs> It'd be good to see him play in Australia okay, during get, the summer. They'll get their money's worth. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah they're going to rinse every bit out of them. They will. Right, next question. Stephen Kavanagh. Does Mike have advice for John Muldoon for making the most of his last season and how to stash away as much free gear as possible? What's yeah, he getting at, well, Mike? Yeah, well, you know, I I didn't know it was my last game when I played against Scarlet, so I didn't realise that was my last game. So, you know, for, for, for Mull and... Tommy Boswell's retired, hasn't he? So, uh, but uh, for, yeah, yeah, but for those guys that you know know they're retiring, and you know John's John's fit and healthy at the moment, so uh, you know he can really enjoy the last his last few games, and you know I'm sure he will. Um, on the stash front, yeah, just you got to get as much as you can because uh, yeah, I've got a few bags. Uh, you you end up giving so much away, so but uh, you know you keep a few of the keep a few of the good things for, what, what uh, for a rainy day. What did you miss out on? 
Like, if you'd known, what would you have made sure that's going on Stash-wise? Yeah. Oh, right, well, yeah, seeing the, seeing pictures of the lads going around in the new Flash stash, it's, it, you know, you do feel a bit sad because that's one of the best days <laughs> is getting your bag of stash, you know, whether it be with Leinster or, or Ireland, you know, that feeling when you unzip the bag and it's you, you see all the stash in there and then you try it on, you rip the plastic off. It's just it's just amazing, absolutely amazing. Best stash you got, Tomas? Um, the Monster Gear was pretty nice, the added this stuff. Um yeah, I wouldn't share the same excitement that Mike has for <laughs> gear, but um, maybe when I was 19 or 20, it was nice getting a few bits, but like you said, you get kind of uh, overrun with it. You end up giving a lot of it away to your yeah. brothers and your mates and stuff like so. Um, yeah, I've got plenty of it still. Like, you know what was really nice was when you arrived in the studio today and Tomas brought free watches for everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, that uh, didn't happen. Totalandco.com, yeah. my yeah. website, Tomas with Air Designs. If you're looking for a present or just want to treat yourself, go, Plug. go and get a watch. There you go. Do you do uh, gift vouchers? I do for you, Mike. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Next question. Uh, John O'Donovan, who's better at dancing, Mike or Tomas? I've I've um, exhibited my uh, wares on national TV, so look, we can have a look at Mike there now if he wants to throw down a challenge. Oh, the feet! Yeah, yeah no, the no, feet. No. The <laughs> feet started to move under the desk. I probably, was, probably Mike. I need a bit of training, so okay. Yeah. So ne- this ne- time next, next year, year, yeah, Mike McCarthy wants to sign up for. A okay, done. There you go. We'll keep you active next year now. Yeah. Um, next one, Calmo Donahue asks. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. Would a year in the Challenge Cup be a disaster for Ulster? There's a lot going on with that question. I don't think it would. Like, remember when um, the I suppose the teams who didn't qualify for knockout stages went into Challenge Cup, and Leinster went on to win a Challenge Cup. That was very beneficial for their squad. And Do you so mean in terms <coughs> of actually just winning silverware? Winning silverware, and um, I suppose creating a a good good feel factor on the club. Mm. <coughs> um, Harlequins are the same experience I think as well so um, obviously they're going to want to, to get into the Champions Cup and be challenging at the top level but it wouldn't be a disaster I don't think Okay flip side would be player recruitment might be a bit bit of a challenge if we're bringing in an, another player or yeah. trying to Yeah yeah. like if they still need to get um, a couple of big names in or something like that and um, yeah it'd be hard to kind of sell them on those kind of big big nights because you're not going to be able to you'll be having half empty stadiums you're going to play them, pay them enough money they'll come <laughs> Yeah. All right. That's it. So for me. Do that. Yeah. Cash him up. Uh, last question from Killian Day. Uh, this is a long one. With Leinster producing so many players for other provinces currently, should the IRFU explore a national academy that would allow them distribute players to where they are needed? Cost is an obvious issue, as well as players wanting to move, but that those problems exist now. Um, it's an interesting one. A central academy, and then. Or would you have a draft or something, or just shoot them where well, they want? You're talking about London Irish there, so it seems that seems like a perfect fit for all those all those players that can't get game time. Is there, you know, if there was kind of a link with so employ London no, Irish, employ London Irish as a fifth province <laughs> officially. Well, they're, they're, like the old days, they're, like they're the, screaming out for players, aren't they? So the Scots yeah. are doing. With, we're supposed to be looking into doing with Worcester as well, just having an English-based team as well. The uh, what would you reckon? Do you reckon that if you're from Cork, you would? I would never want to play with Leinster, Ulster, or Connacht. And, and why is that, Tomas? <laughs> is it too far from the parish? Uh, exactly. But I, when I was back, when I was in the academy, it was technically it was an Irish academy, mm. and we used to meet up maybe three, four weeks of the year, everyone together. Um, but then we would be 
put back to our provinces and we train with the senior team and the senior mm. setup in our province. But I think if you if you start diluting the provincial academies and you start diluting people's ambition to want to play with their province and like I said, I think because people genuinely want to play for their local team, that adds so much to it's it's not tangible, but it adds so much um to to the provinces. So I think if you dilute dilute that um, it's I think would have a massive negative uh, consequence so yeah um, and obviously then if a fella doesn't make it within his local academy and there's an opportunity in Ulster or Munster or Connacht that's brilliant for, for those provinces so I don't see an issue with the, with the, with, with the way the system is working Okay, and we know that um, David Nusivora has said he wants players to be up for moving if that's the thing that would get them game time Yeah yeah, it'd be interesting. Like it, it, that's that's the talk now as well. So let's see, let's see if your Marsh wish comes true as well, and this could be the beginning of something beautiful over the next few years. Oh, wow. Fluid, provincial movement. Okay, right. Um, yeah. P M. F P M. Of course. Okay, last one, and it's it's not a question that came in, but I'm asking it. Uh, Wayne Barnes in the Scarlet Toulon match did something really diff- interesting. He brought over Man Nanu so very senior very famous player uh, who'd been asking for penalties and waving yellow cards and whatever and said look let's make it really clear you come and ask for a yellow card you get one understand <laughs> and then Nigel Owens has backed that up publicly said yeah the senior refs have had a chat um, I'm I'm loving this mm. uh, is this is this something which you think has, has crept into the game a bit Tomas or is this something which you reckon is just a few high profile cases um, I think it's always been there. I think um, at the highest level, you know, in the biggest games, you're going to try and get an edge for your teams and mm. senior players, especially, and those I suppose who are have an ability to influence referees, do it. Some some of them are obviously a lot better at it and do it maybe more subtly. Um, We've got a few yappers though in the Ireland squad. There's a few guys who do, even though they're not captain, they do have a bit of a mouth and you would... Peter Marnie got done for one there against Racing, didn't he? Got marched back. Yeah. So if they're going to be looking at this a little more closely, you hope that there's a word in the ear saying, listen, lads, we don't need to... I don't think it's an issue. Like, it hasn't, uh, you know, unduly affected um, an Irish rugby team. Has it, or... I don't think it's an issue but like but you're dead right what you're Johnny saying there. of course you're going to try and influence the ref I mean it's I remember when I was playing in the premiership and uh, Delalio and Martin Johnson were it was you know it was actually frustrating to watch how, how much of an influence they, they had on the referee so I'd, you know it's not as bad as it used to be but um, you know you uh, if you if you can influence the referee, why not? And they actually talking about John Muldoon there, the one where he influenced the referee when they're playing Wasps. Was it last year in the Champions Cup? And they uh, they kicked to the corner, time oh, was yeah. up, and he took the ref into letting them take the take the line out and end up s- scoring and winning the game by two points. So that was top work from Mulder. Top work, yeah. Yeah, he invented so, his own rule book. Yeah, exactly. That's good. Um, okay, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks to Pat, to Tomas and Mike for joining me in studio, to Alan Lachnan for producing and Shane Dempsey was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get it straight to your phone. This has been The Hard Yards. I'm Andy McGeady. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.